Chapter Twenty of the Prairie by James Fenimore Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. Welcome, ancient pistol. Shakespeare. It was not long before the trapper pointed out the commanding person of Matori as the leader of the Sioux. This chief, who had been among the last to obey the vociferous summons of Wuka, no sooner reached the spot where his whole party was now gathered than he threw himself from his horse and proceeded to examine the marks of the extraordinary trail with that degree of dignity and attention which became his high and responsible station. The warriors, for it was but too evident that they were to a man of that fearless and ruthless class, awaited the result of his investigation with patient reserve. None but a few of the principal braves, presuming even to speak, while their leader was thus gravely occupied. It was several minutes before Matori seemed satisfied. He then directed his eyes along the ground to those several places where Ishmael had found the same revolting evidences of the passage of some bloody struggle, and motioned to his people to follow. The whole band advanced in a body towards the thicket, until they came to a halt within a few yards of the precise spot where Esther had stimulated her sluggish sons to break into the cover. The reader will readily imagine that the trapper and his companions were not indifferent observers to so threatening a movement. The old man summoned all who were capable of bearing arms to his side, and demanded in very unequivocal terms, though in a voice that was suitably lowered, in order to escape the ears of their dangerous neighbors, whether they were disposed to make a battle for their liberty, or whether they should try the milder expedient of conciliation. As it was a subject in which all had an equal interest, he put the question as to the council of war, not without some slight exhibition of the lingering vestiges of a nearly extinct military pride. Paul and the doctor were diametrically opposed to each other in opinion, the former declaring for an immediate appeal to arms, and the latter was warmly espousing the policy of pacific measures. Middleton, who saw that there was great danger of a hot verbal dispute between two men, who were governed by feelings so diametrically opposed, saw fit to assume the office of arbiter, or rather to decide the question, his situation making him a sort of umpire. He also leaned to the side of peace, for he evidently saw that, in consequence of the vast superiority of their enemies, violence would irretrievably lead to their destruction. The trapper listened to the reasons of the young soldier with great attention, and, as they were given with the steadiness of one who did not suffer apprehension to blind his judgment, they did not fail to produce a suitable impression. "'It is rational,' rejoined the trapper, when the other had delivered his reasons. "'It is very rational, for what man cannot move his strength he must circumvent with his wits. It is reason that makes him stronger than the buffalo,' and swifter than the moose. Now stay you here, and keep yourselves close. My life and my traps are but little value, when the welfare of so many human souls are concerned. And, moreover, I may say that I know the windings of Indian cunning. Therefore will I go alone upon the prairie. It may so happen that I can yet draw the eyes of a Sioux from this spot, and give you time and room to fly. As if resolved to listen to no remonstrance, the old man quietly shouldered his rifle, and moving leisurely through the thicket, he issued on the plain at a point whence he might first appear before the eyes of the Sioux, without exciting their suspicions that he came from its cover. 
The instant that the figure of a man, dressed in the garb of a hunter, and bearing the well-known and much-dreaded rifle, appeared before the eyes of the Sioux, there was a sensible, though a suppressed, sensation in the band. The artifice of the trapper had so far succeeded, as to render it extremely doubtful whether he came from some point on the open prairie, or from the thicket, though the Indians still continued to cast frequent and suspicious glances at the cover. They had made their halt at the distance of an arrow flight from the bushes, but when the stranger came sufficiently nigh to show that the deep coating of red and brown, which time and exposure had given to his features, was laid upon the original color of a pale-face, they slowly receded from the spot until they reached the distance that might defeat the aim of firearms. In the meantime the old man continued to advance until he had got nigh enough to make himself heard without difficulty. Here he stopped and dropping his rifle to the earth, he raised his hand with the palm outward in a token of peace. After uttering a few words of reproach to his hound, who watched the savage group with eyes that seemed to recognize them, he spoke in the Sioux tongue. "'My brothers are welcome,' he said cunningly, constituting himself the master of the region in which they had met, and assuming the offices of hospitality. "'They are far from their villages, and are hungry.' Will they follow to my lodge to eat and sleep? No sooner was his voice heard than the yell of pleasure, which burst from a dozen mouths, convinced the sagacious trapper that he also was recognized. Feeling that it was too late to retreat, he profited by the confusion which prevailed among them, while Wooka was explaining his character to advance until he was again face to face with the redoubtable Matori. The second interview between these two men, each of whom was extraordinary in his way, was marked by the usual caution of the frontiers. They stood for nearly a minute, examining each other without speaking. "'Where are your young men?' sternly demanded the Teton chieftain, after he found that the immovable features of the trapper refused to betray any of their master's secrets under his intimidating look. "'The long knives do not come in bands to trap the beaver. I am alone. Your head is white, but you have a forked tongue.' Matari has been in your camp. He knows that you are not alone. Where is your young wife and the warrior that I found upon the prairie? I have no wife. I have told my brother that the woman and her friend were strangers. The words of a gray head should be heard and not forgotten. The Dakotas found travelers asleep, and they thought they had no need of horses. The women and children of a pale-face are not used to go far on foot. Let them be sought where you left them. The eyes of the Teton flashed fire as he answered, "'They are gone! But Matori is a wise chief, and his eyes can see a great distance!' "'Does the partisan of the Tetons see men on these naked fields?' retorted the trapper, with great steadiness of mien. "'I am very old, and my eyes grow dim. Where do they stand?' The chief remained silent a moment, as if he disdained to contest any further the truth of a fact concerning which he was already satisfied. Then, pointing to the traces of the earth, he said, with a sudden transition to mildness in his eye and manner, "'My father has learnt wisdom in many winters. Can he tell me whose moccasin has left this trail? There have been wolves and buffaloes on the prairies, and there may have been cougars, too.' Matori glanced his eye at the thicket, as if he thought the latter suggestion not impossible." Pointing to the place, he ordered his young men to reconnoitre it more closely. 
cautioning them at the same time with a stern look at the trapper, to beware of treachery from the big knives. Three or four half-naked, eager-looking youths lashed their horses at the word, and darted away to obey the mandate. The old man trembled a little for the discretion of Paul, when he saw this demonstration. The Tetons encircled the place two or three times, approaching nigher and nigher at each circuit, and then galloped back to their leader to report that the copse seemed empty. Notwithstanding the trapper watched the eye of Matori, to detect the inward movements of his mind, and if possible to anticipate, in order to direct his suspicions, the utmost sagacity of one so long accustomed to study the cold habits of the Indian race, could, however, detect no symptom or expression that denoted how far he credited or distrusted this intelligence. Instead of replying to the information of his scouts, he spoke kindly to his horse, and motioning to a youth to receive the bridle, or rather halter, by which he governed the animal, he took the trapper by the arm, and led him a little apart from the rest of the band. "'Has my brother been a warrior?' said the wily Teton, in a tone that he intended should be conciliating. "'Do the leaves cover the trees in the season of fruits? Go! The Dakotas have not seen as many warriors living as I have looked on in their blood. But what signifies idle remembrancing?' he added in English, "'when limbs grow stiff.' and sight is failing. The chief regarded him a moment with a severe look, as if he would lay bare the falsehood he had heard, but meeting in the calm eye and steady mien of the trapper a confirmation of the truth of what he said, he took the hand of the old man and laid it gently on his head, in token of the respect that was due to the other's years and experience. "'Why then do the big knives tell their red brethren to bury the tomahawk?' he said, when their own young men never forget that they are braves, and meet each other so often with bloody hands. My nation is more numerous than the buffaloes on the prairies, or the pigeons in the air. Their quarrels are frequent, yet their warriors are few. None go out on the war-path, but they who are gifted with the qualities of a brave, and therefore such see many battles. It is not so. My father is mistaken returned Matori, indulging in a smile of exulting penetration, at the very instant he corrected the force of his denial, in deference to the years and services of one so aged. The big knives are very wise, and they are men. All of them would be warriors. They would leave the redskins to dig roots and hoe the corn. But a Dakota is not born to live like a woman. He must strike the Pawnee and the Omaha or he will lose the name of his fathers. The master of life looks with an open eye on his children, who die in a battle that is fought for the right. But he is blind, and his ears are shut to the cries of an Indian, who is killed when plundering or doing evil to his neighbor. "'My father is old,' said Matori, looking at his aged companion, with an expression of irony that sufficiently denoted he was one of those who overstepped the trammels of education, and who are perhaps a little given to abuse the mental liberty they thus obtain. He is very old. Has he made a journey to the far country? And has he been at the trouble to come back to tell the young men what he has seen? Teton, returned the trapper, throwing the breech of his rifle to the earth with startling vehemence, and regarding his companion with steady serenity. I have heard that there are men among my people who study their great medicines until they believe themselves to be gods, 
and who laugh at all faith except in their own vanities. It may be true, it is true, for I have seen them. When man is shut up in towns and schools, with his own follies, it may be easy to believe himself greater than the master of life. But a warrior, who lives in a house with the clouds for its roof, where he can at any moment look at both the heavens and at the earth, and who daily sees the power of the great spirit, should be more humble. A Dakota chieftain ought to be too wise to laugh at justice. The crafty Matori, who saw that his free thinking was not likely to produce a favorable impression on the old man, instantly changed his ground by alluding to the more immediate subject of their interview. Laying his hand gently on the shoulder of the trapper, he led him forward until they both stood within fifty feet of the margin of the thicket. Here he fastened his penetrating eyes on the other's honest countenance and continued a discourse. If my father has hid his young men in the bush, let him tell them to come forth. You see that a Dakota is not afraid. Matori is a great chief. A warrior, whose head is white and who is about to go to the land of spirits, cannot have a tongue with two ends like a serpent. Dakota, I have told no lie. Since the great spirit made me a man, I have lived in the wilderness, or on these naked plains without lodge or family. I am a hunter, and go on my path alone. My father has a good carbine. Let him point it in the bush and fire. The old man hesitated a moment, and then slowly prepared himself to give this delicate assurance of the truth of what he said, without which he plainly perceived the suspicions of his crafty companion could not be lulled. As he lowered his rifle, his eye, although greatly dimmed and weakened by age, ran over the confused collection of objects that lay embedded amid the party-colored foliage of the thicket, until it succeeded in catching a glimpse of the brown covering of the stem of a small tree. With this object in view, he raised the piece to a level and fired. The bullet had no sooner glided from the barrel than a tremor seized the hands of the trapper, which, had it occurred a moment sooner, would have utterly disqualified him for so hazardous an experiment. A frightful silence succeeded the report, during which he expected to hear the shrieks of the females, and then, as the smoke whirled away in the wind, he caught a view of the fluttering bark, and felt assured that all his former skill was not entirely departed from him. Dropping the piece to the earth, he turned again to his companion, with an air of the utmost composure, and demanded, "'Is my brother satisfied?' "'Matori is a chief of the Dakotas,' returned the cunning Teton, laying his hand on his chest in acknowledgment of the other's sincerity. He knows that a warrior who has smoked at so many council fires until his head has grown white would not be found in wicked company. But did not my father once ride on a horse like a rich chief of the Pale Faces, instead of traveling on foot like a hungry Kanza? Never! The Wakanda has given me legs, and he has given me resolution to use them. For sixty summers and winters did I journey in the woods of America, and ten tiresome years have I dwelt on these open fields, without finding need to call often upon the gifts of the others creatures of the Lord to carry me from place to place. If my father has so long lived in the shade, why has he come upon the prairies? The sun will scorch him. The old man looked sorrowfully about for a moment, and then turning with a confidential air to the other, he replied, I passed the spring, summer, and autumn of life among the trees. The winter of my days had come, and found me where I loved to be, in the quiet, I, and in the honesty of the woods. 
Teton, then I slept happily, where my eyes could look up through the branches of the pines and the beeches, to the very dwelling of the good spirit of my people. If I had need to open my heart to him, while his fires were burning above my head, the door was open and before my eyes. But the axes of the choppers awoke me. For a long time my ears heard nothing but the uproar of clearings. I bore it like a warrior and a man. There was a reason that I should bear it, but when that reason was ended, I bethought me to get beyond the accursed sounds. It was tying to the courage and to the habits, but I had heard of these vast and naked fields, and I came hither to escape the wasteful temper of my people. Tell me, Dakota, have I not done well? The trapper laid his long, lean finger on the naked shoulder of the Indian as he ended, and seemed to demand his felicitations on his ingenuity and success, with a ghastly smile in which triumph was singularly blended with regret. His companion listened intently, and replied to the question by saying, in sententious manner of his race, "'The head of my father is very gray. He has always lived with men, and he has seen everything. What he does is good. What he speaks is wise. Now, let him say, is he sure that he is a stranger to the big knives, who are looking for their beasts on every side of the prairies, and cannot find them? Dakota, what I have said is true. I live alone, and never do I mingle with men whose skins are white if— His mouth was suddenly closed by an interruption that was as mortifying as it was unexpected. The words were still on his tongue, when the bushes on the side of the thicket where they stood opened, and the whole of the party whom he had just left, and in whose behalf he was endeavoring to reconcile his love of truth to the necessity of prevaricating, came openly into view. A pause of mute astonishment succeeded this unlooked-for spectacle. Then Matari, who did not suffer a muscle or a joint to betray the wonder and surprise he actually experienced, motioned towards the advancing friends of the trapper with an air of assumed civility, and a smile that lighted his fierce, dark visage as the glare of the setting sun reveals the volume and load of the cloud that is charged to bursting with the electric fluid. He, however, disdained to speak or to give any other evidence of his intentions than by calling to his side the distant band, who sprang forward at his beck, with the alacrity of willing subordinates. In the meantime, the friends of the old man continued to advance. Middleton himself was foremost, supporting the light and aerial-looking figure of Inez, on whose anxious countenance he cast such occasional glances of tender interest as, in similar circumstances, a father would have given to his child. Paul led Ellen, close in their rear, but while the eye of the bee-hunter did not neglect his blooming companion, it scowled angrily, resembling more the aspect of the sullen and retreating bearer than the soft intelligence of a favored suitor. Obed and Asinus came last, the former leading his companion with a degree of fondness that could hardly be said to be exceeded by any other of the party. The approach of the naturalist was far less rapid than that of those who preceded him. His feet seemed equally reluctant to advance or to remain stationary, his position bearing a great analogy to that of Mohammed's coffin, with the exception that the quality of repulsion, rather than that of attraction, held him in a state of rest. The repulsive power in his rear, however, appeared to predominate, and by a singular exception, as he would have said himself, to all philosophical principles, it rather increased than diminished by distance. As the eyes of the naturalist steadily maintained a position that was the opposite of his route, 
They served to give a direction to those of the observers of all these movements, and at once furnished a sufficient clue by which to unravel the mystery of so sudden a debouchment from the cover. Another cluster of stout and armed men was seen at no great distance, just rounding a point of the thicket, and moving directly, though cautiously, towards the place where the band of Sioux was posted, as a squadron of cruisers is often seen to steer across the waste of waters towards the rich but well-protected convoy. In short, the family of the squatter, or at least such among them as were capable of bearing arms, appeared in view, on the broad prairie, evidently bent on revenging their wrongs. Matori and his party slowly retired from the thicket, the moment they caught a view of the strangers, until they halted on a swell that commanded a wide and unobstructed view of the naked fields on which they stood. Here the Dakota appeared disposed to make his stand and to bring matters to an issue. Notwithstanding this retreat, in which he compelled the trapper to accompany him, Middleton still advanced, until he too halted on the same elevation and within speaking distance of the warlike Sioux. The borderers, in their turn, took a favorable position, though at a much greater distance. The three groups now resembled so many fleets at sea, lying with their topsails to the mass, with the commendable precaution of reconnoitering, before each could ascertain who among the strangers might be considered as friends, and who as foes. During this moment of suspense, the dark, threatening eye of Matari rolled from one of the strange parties to the other, in keen and hasty examination, and then it turned its withering look on the old man, as the chief said, in a tone of high and bitter scorn, The big knives are fools! It is easier to catch the cougar asleep than to find a blind Dakota! Did the whitehead think to ride on the horse of a Sioux? The trapper, who had found time to collect his perplexed faculties, saw at once that Middleton, having perceived Ishmael on the trail by which they had fled, preferred trusting to the hospitality of the savages than to the treatment he would be likely to receive from the hands of the squatter. He therefore disposed himself to clear the way for the favorable reception of his friends, since he found that the unnatural coalition became necessary to secure the liberty, if not the lives, of the party. Did my brother ever go on a warpath to strike my people? He calmly demanded of the indignant chief, who still awaited his reply. The lowering aspect of the Teton warrior so far lost its severity as to suffer a gleam of pleasure and triumph to lighten its ferocity, as sweeping his arm in an entire circle around his person, he answered, What tribe or nation has not felt the blows of Dakotas? Matari is their partisan. And has he found the big knives women, or has he found them men? A multitude of fierce passions were struggling in the tawny countenance of the Indian. For a moment, inextinguishable hatred seemed to hold the mastery, and then a nobler expression, and one that better became the character of a brave, got possession of his features and maintained itself until, first throwing aside his light robe of pictured deerskin, and pointing to the scar of a bayonet in his breast, he replied, It was given as it was taken, face to face. It is enough. My brother is a brave chief, and he should be wise. Let him look. Is that a warrior of the pale-faces? Was it one such as that who gave the great Dakota his hurt? The eyes of the Matori followed the direction of the old man's extended arm until they rested on the drooping form of Inez. The look of the Teton was long, riveted, and admiring. Like that of the young Pawnee, it resembled more the gaze of a mortal on some heavenly image 
than the admiration with which man is wont to contemplate even the loveliness of a woman. Starting, as if suddenly self-convinced of forgetfulness, the chief next turned his eyes on Ellen, where they lingered an instant with a much more intelligible expression of admiration, and then pursued their course until they had taken another glance at each individual of the party. "'My brother sees that my tongue is not forked,' continued the trapper, watching the emotions the other betrayed with a readiness of comprehension little inferior to that of the Teton himself. "'The big knives do not send their women to war. I know that the Dakotas will smoke with the strangers.' "'Matari is a great chief. The big knives are welcome.' said the Teton, laying his hand on his breast with an air of lofty politeness that would have done credit to any state of society. The arrows of my young men are in their quivers. The trapper motioned to Middleton to approach, and in a few moments the two parties were blended in one, each of the males having exchanged friendly greetings after the fashions of the prairie warriors. But, even while engaged in this hospitable manner, the Dakota did not fail to keep a strict watch on the more distant party of white men as if he still distrusted an artifice, or sought further explanation. The old man, in his turn, perceived the necessity of being more explicit, and of securing the slight and equivocal advantage he had already obtained. While affecting to examine the group, which still lingered at the spot where it had first halted, as if to discover the characters of those who composed it, he plainly saw that Ishmael contemplated immediate hostility. The result of a conflict on the open prairie between a dozen resolute bordermen and the half-armed natives, even though seconded by their white allies, was in his experienced judgment a point of great uncertainty, and though far from reluctant to engage in the struggle on account of himself, the aged trapper thought it far more worthy of his years and his character to avoid than court the contest. His feelings were, for obvious reasons, in accordance with those of Paul and Middleton, who had lives still more precious than their own to watch over and protect. In this dilemma the three consulted on the means of escaping the frightful consequences which might immediately follow a single act of hostility on the part of the borderers. The old man, taking care of their communication, should, in the eyes of those, who noted the expression of their countenances with jealous watchfulness, bear the appearance of explanations as to the reason why such a party of travelers was met so far in the deserts. I know that the Dakotas are a wise and great people. At length the trapper commenced, again addressing himself to the chief. But does not their partisan know a single brother who is base? The eye of Matari wandered proudly around his band, but rested a moment reluctantly on Wuka as he answered. The master of life has made chiefs, and warriors, and women conceiving that he thus embraced all the gradations of human excellence from the highest to the lowest. And he has also made pale-faces who are wicked, such as they whom my brother sees yonder. Do they go on foot to do wrong? demanded the Teton, with a wild gleam from his eyes, that sufficiently betrayed how well he knew the reason why they were reduced to so humble an expedient. Their beasts are gone but their powder and their lead and their blankets remain. Do they carry their riches in their hands, like miserable Kansas, Or are they brave, and leave them with the women, as men should do, who know where to find what they lose? My brother sees a spot of blue across the prairie. Look, the sun has touched it for the last time today. Matori is not a mole. 
It is a rock. On it are the goods of the big knives. An expression of savage joy shot into the dark countenance of the Teton as he listened. Turning to the old man, he seemed to read his soul, as if to assure himself he was not deceived. Then he bent his look on the party of Ishmael, and countered its number. "'One warrior is wanting,' he said. "'Does my brother see the buzzards? There is his grave. Did he find blood on the prairie? It was his.' "'Enough! Matari is a wise chief. Put your women on the horses of the Dakotas. We shall see, for our eyes are open very wide.' The trapper wasted no unnecessary words in explanation. Familiar with the brevity and promptitude of the natives, he immediately communicated the result to his companions. Paul was mounted in an instant, with Ellen at his back. A few more moments were necessary to assure Middleton of the security and ease of Inez. While he was thus engaged, Matori advanced to the side of the beast he had allotted to this service, which was his own, and manifested an intention to occupy his customary place on its back. The young soldier seized the reins of the animal, and glances of sudden anger and lofty pride were exchanged between them. "'No man takes this seat but myself,' said Middleton sternly in English. "'Matori is a great chief,' retorted the savage, neither comprehending the meaning of the other's words. "'The Dakota will be too late,' whispered the old man at his elbow. "'See, the big knives are afraid, and they will soon run.' The Teton chief instantly abandoned his claim, and threw himself on another horse, directing one of his young men to furnish a similar accommodation for the trapper. The warriors who were dismounted got up behind as many of their companions. Dr. Battius bestrode Asinus, and, notwithstanding the brief interruption, and half the time we have taken to relate it, the whole party was prepared to move. When he saw that all were ready, Matori gave the signal to advance. A few of the best mounted of the warriors, the chief himself included, moved a little in front and made a threatening demonstration, as if they intended to attack the strangers. The squatter, who was in truth slowly retiring, instantly halted his party and showed a willing front. Instead, however, of coming within reach of the dangerous aim of the western rifle, the subtle savages kept wheeling about the strangers, until they had made a half-circuit, keeping the latter in constant expectation of an assault. Then, perfectly secure of their object, the Tetons raised a loud shout and darted across the prairie in a line for the distant rock with the directness and nearly the velocity of the arrow that has just been shot from its bow. End of chapter 20